HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to HRN On Tour at Charleston Wine and Food 2022. I'm Dylan Hoyer. And I'm Sarah Strong. And today we are broadcasting live from the heart of the Culinary Village. This episode is made possible thanks to the support of Ben's Friends from Indigo Road Restaurant Group. We're so excited to welcome Paula Velez. She graduated from Le Cordon Bleu in 2009 before starting her culinary career at a number of notable culinary institutions in Manhattan and Washington, D.C., working with chocolatier Jack Torres, chef Christina Tosi at Milk Bar, and then as a lead pastry cook at the critically acclaimed Arose. Most recently, she served as the executive pastry chef of the beloved Compass Rose and Michelin-starred Maiden. You may be most intimately familiar with her work giving back to the community. During the pandemic, Paula co-founded Donia Dona, a Latin American pop-up to benefit Ayuda DC, an organization that supports the restaurant industry's undocumented workforce. Later, Paula co-founded Bakers Against Racism, a worldwide bake sale that has raised over $2 million and counting for organizations that support black lives and black communities globally. Welcome, Paula. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) So you were raised in New York City and in the Dominican Republic, which really shaped your understanding of food, sustainability, and access. Tell us a little bit about the role that food played in your childhood and how it shaped your career. If you don't know a lot about me, if you don't follow me on like social media, uh, good for you, because uh, then you have a lot of peace. Um, <laughs> but I'm actually really shy, so I don't necessarily love featuring myself, featuring what I do as a person, as a human being. But when I stand behind food, it gives me power and strength in ways that I can't kind of fathom. Um, Typically, I'm very shy, like a wallflower. But if you put cake in front of me, I am not a wallflower. I'm a garden, you know? Um, But food was so influential for me in my formative years. When I was a a young child, even, I would travel back and forth from New York, where I was born, to the Dominican Republic, where I would spend time with my grandmother before she passed. And for me, she taught me how to give with food, how to love with food, how to grow it, how to understand it and appreciate it. And that's something that made me appreciate food even more as a chef, because um, without food, how are we going to be able to connect with each other? You know what I mean? And so why is pastry ultimately your chosen medium? 
Oh, um, so I actually started off in um, Savory, you know, and um, I worked my way up through that. But eventually, um, I kept being put in what they called back then the pink dungeon because I'm very small and petite and I have tiny cold hands and I could make all the things without melting them. And I realized that I did have a knack for it. So instead of like being upset that I was not taken seriously uh, in the savory side of things, you know, I reached out to Chef Jacques Torres and I was like, hey, I, I really think that I could uh, thrive in this environment. Um, if you would be willing to take me in, I don't have any pastry experience, but I'm willing to learn. And he was like, oh, where did you study? And I was like, Le Cordon Bleu. He's like, perfect. You start tomorrow. And I was like, oh, okay, that's awesome. And in four months, I became his pastry sous. You know, um, that that experience really set me up for what I'm going through now because he uh, made sure that I was able to just know what it was like to navigate through all of this like food and wine and food network, food media and in general world, you know. That's awesome. Thank you. And some listeners may be most familiar with your work with Bakers Against Racism, an organization you founded during the pandemic. Tell us about the premise of this and what launched you into action initially. Yeah, so it was actually pretty simple. Um, I was really upset when I got <laughs> furloughed in the pandemic, you know. Um, I just want, like got nominated for um, a semi-finalist James Beard. And then um, I had just won Pastry Chef of the Year, too, uh, locally in the Restaurant of Washington, D.C. Associations. Um, and... Overnight, I was furloughed with 0% pay, and I was, like, super bitter because I didn't realize if I would have a career after this. Uh, also, it was a global pandemic, so I was like, um, am I going to be okay, right? Um, so I just kind of didn't hold back anymore. I started speaking my truth of what happened in my experience in the industry, and then I realized after I kind of gotten all of my staff uh, their unemployment benefits, uh, two months later, I was like, oh, I need to do it for me now, you know? And I did, and it was such a gruesome process, and I felt, like, so dehumanized, and then I realized how steeped in privilege that was, you know? Like, how dare I think that that's, like, the, the end of my world when there are undocumented immigrants who don't have access to this, who still have families that they need to take care of, that are completely disconnected from uh, because of the pandemic. And I started fundraising for them. I Once I got my unemployment, I was like, I'm just going to bake and give it all, like everything that I make, I'm going to give it away. And I partnered with Ayuda DC, uh, an organization in Washington, DC, that uh, before this uh, pop-up, they only were uh, local now they're national, you know, um, and we were able to just fundraise for undocumented immigrants. That's incredible. And then did Bakers Against Racism sort of evolve naturally from that project? It actually, um, again, I guess maybe good things come from when I'm frustrated, <laughs> but um, I was really frustrated because like I saw the murder of George Floyd and I didn't understand how this could happen during a global pandemic. Like we should be really busy with something else. You know what I mean? Yes. Not this. Right. And it was like brutal. It felt like as he was breathing his last breaths, I felt like I was winded too. You know what I mean? I didn't understand. I couldn't comprehend it. And everybody around town was like, oh, we should do one more pop up like you did with Doña Dona. And I really I realized that it wasn't enough. Willa reached out to me, Chef Willa. 
Um, and she was like, let's do another pop-up. And I was like, honestly, I don't think it's enough, you know? One more pop-up is only for our benefit to make us feel good. And I don't know if I'm, I have it in me, you know? And then in my frustration, I just was like, I need help. I need I need support. I can't do this alone. You know, I did a month and, a, and a, some change long pop up for undocumented immigrants and it wasn't enough. Right. Like I didn't understand that it was a bigger thing than I could see at that time. But I realized that if I could just ask for other bakers in Washington, D.C. to join, even if it was bakers, chefs, home cooks, um, 86 bakers was like my goal, my dream goal. Right. And we would have raised $96,000 if we would have done it by the rubrics that I did, right, with my Google folder and all of that stuff. And um, I put everything that I learned from Doña Dona down into um, a Google folder. And I made a hashtag and an Instagram. And I was like, all right, this is, this is it, guys. And I asked Rob if he could help me make some graphics. And then I pitched it to Rob and Willa. And I asked them to be co-founders with me because I'm very shy. <laughs> um, and they were like, absolutely, we're here to support you, whatever you need. And um, when we launched, we went viral. I, I was talking to folks in Australia and Mumbai. I was talking to folks in South America wanting to join Bakers Against Racism. And I was like oh my gosh, what's happening, you know? And it took me by a total surprise, but the way that my husband and I built this, it was decentralized to the point that if I did pass from the pandemic, it could still continue without me, you know? And honestly, it continues without me to this day. There are bakers around the globe that activate constantly because they care about the communities that they're in. Right. And that was the whole point of bakers. It wasn't to ask people to care. It was to teach them how to, you know, and it gives them the onus. It gives them the responsibility to do this work, you know, on their own terms, in their own time and in their own communities, you know, and that I feel is more meaningful. And, and it, it creates a pathway forward that is a little more unique and a little more tailored to the individual and the organizations that are in their community. And I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit about what resources you're setting people up with, how you're harnessing the power of social media to have such a big impact. Yeah. I mean, are people deciding on their own to give to a particular organization? Are there recommendations sort of coming from the top of the organization? Tell us how that works as well. So theoretically, the only time I've actually like suggested um, organizations to donate to has been this activation now, Bake for Ukraine, where I have been vetting the information that we um, can possibly find through other um, media sources, through other people that are on the ground right now, like World Central Kitchen, who I, I trust Chef Jose Andres, right? And I knew as soon as I saw him on the plane going over there, I was like, we need to help him right now, you know? And I... I activated without, usually I, I activate after a month of prep, right? And I activated immediately, and I've never done that before. And I've been helping folks, you know, bake for African students that are in the Ukraine. For Afro-Ukrainians, I have been helping them bake for children who need support, you know, because this is going to be psychologically damaging to them. You know, of course, everybody needs to eat. So World Central Kitchen is the top of our list because people need sustenance, people need medicine, people need refuge, right? So 
this is the only bake sale that I have been leading that charge, but I'm still asking people to do the research, right? Because I can't do it all. Uh, but theor not theoretically, sorry. But in the past, <laughs> we actually have always encouraged the bakers to do that work on their own, to do the homework, you know what I mean? Um, I would kind of point them to a few mutual aid funds, a few organizations that I trust that I know are doing the work, but honestly, I want people to, like my favorite thing that I, in all of the, the 900 emails that I answered that first night uh, with my husband, yeah, before we set up an away message, <laughs> um, we, you know, saw that people were baking for black surfers in Nova Scotia, you know, black artists, girls who code, you know, and I honestly, I, I love that, you know, because it's not just me saying, hey, you know, donate to me because we don't accept any funds whatsoever. Bakers Against Racism is trying to stay as pure as possible. So we don't accept donations. We don't do collaborations. We don't do it like anything that's for um, monetary purposes. I donate my money to fund bakers, right? Because I want to make sure that people can trust us and it, it stays a little bit more pure than just a few dollar bills, you know. But bakers around the world, you guys are encouraged to bake for what you believe in. You know, if you want to see more black artists, bake for that. I, I, I love that, you know. And it totally broadens the horizons of the organization and allows it to like sink into all these local communities everywhere. Absolutely. Coming from the Bronx, you know, um, I didn't have access to um, art programs, after-school art programs. I was in them, and then they got defunded, right? So I couldn't imagine a, a world if there was somebody like me back in the 90s that would have fundraised like that. I might have been a different person. I might have been an artist. Who knows, right? I might have been coding right now, but I, I didn't have that opportunity, uh, because we didn't have the funds. But now, as we fundraise through Bakers Against Racism, if, if it's in New York, if it's in Minneapolis, if it's in L.A., you know, if it's in Paris or Berlin, right, um, black children will have access to programs that otherwise would have been defunded because people are baking cake. And that's amazing. Absolutely. I did a lot of bake sales when I was little, and... You know, we didn't have this kind of advice that you're giving people and this this way to support as a as one person, as a small person and still give back. What were the what are the most important things that you're telling people and how to run their bake sales and take it from, you know, the school gym to really broadening and, and impacting people beyond themselves? I think leave it in the school gym. That's the most important part. I, I want moms, I want grandmas, I want uncles to be talking about this with their family members. I want neighbors to be chatting about this and buying cookies from each other, even if they don't agree in what they, they believe in, right? You could still support somebody and have a cookie or two, right? And I think that that's the, the main goal isn't to always just preach to the choir, right? Because the choir knows what we're saying. It's to talk to people that are in your community that might not always agree with you, but you can almost agree to disagree via cake, right? And I want to mediate. I want to build pathways to not always be bumping heads, not be in Facebook wars, you know what I mean? Like, I want people to have access to conversation 
I want I want family members to be able to talk to each other in a healthy manner, you know, and I don't want it to always be a, a, a competition or a volatile or fight, right? Sometimes we need to talk to each other, human to human, and just see that, you know? Something I think about with regards to Bakers Against Racism is that you are totally just tapping into that, like, power of of bake sales like bake sales have always been there and I think they've can be easily dismissed as being like small or not super important or they're they're just for the PTA it's just for moms it's 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 dismissed as being feminine and I think like all of those things that you're seeing and like there are they're embedded in the community this is how people talk to each other this is how we get connected and like help each other like you are totally just I think flipping the script on the way that people have looked at bake sales before yeah yeah what's your take on that Well, honestly, I feel like bake sales for me were something that I always did. When I was um, in New York cooking as like a regular line cook, I also donated my time to like soup kitchens and I I made like takeaway meals for Friday um, weekends basically for children in Bushwick, right? But then as those young girls were coming to age, I realized that they needed feminine hygiene products so, and I didn't have money I was a line cook in New York um, cringe you know <laughs> and um, I realized that I could fundraise by making cookies right I can turn a bag of flour sugar and butter into cookies that I could sell you know right on the L train when people were coming out and I could then buy them things that they would need to like a starter kit right and they wouldn't have to go through that experience not understanding what was going on and that was like the the earliest that I've like fundraised, knowing that I could turn one dollar into a couple of more dollars, right? And then as I became more, um, when I had better pastry chef jobs, you know, I was able to utilize the the spaces that I was in to give back always, you know. But I never advertised it in a, in a, a way that I was like look at me I'm doing good because again like I said before I'm very shy so I just want to do it and I don't need to get a pat in the back for it I just think it's the right thing to do when I was growing up my mom would always tell me if we have three dollars always give one away because it'll always come back you know and that to me is how I live life I don't do this because it's the trendy thing to do or like it's the cool thing to do right now it's just the right thing to do there are people in the world that just want to be loved to be cared for and to be um, represented and that's what I do through these bake sales you've made the right thing to do the cool thing to do with this organization (laughs) yeah it's sometimes uh, I think it's funny because like Back in the day, it was like, uh, wait, can I can I curse on the oh it's internet radio? Whoa. Go wild. <laughs> but you know, like when I was growing up, it was like the era of the badass chef. You know what I mean? And like all of a sudden, I come onto the scene, and I'm like, it's cool to be weird and dorky and strange and kind, right? And like you don't actually have to be this like persona online, and then this like different person in real life right you could be the same person you can live authentically and still thrive you don't have to be cutthroat you don't have to elbow your way up to the top to do this you know what I mean and I think a lot more people are now realizing that they were fighting for no reason you know and now we're collaborating a lot more chefs are supporting each other a lot more and I can't wait until the industry changes from the inside out because the industry needs to change you know what I mean I mean it's I love the way you look at it in terms of like a pay it forward approach that one kind person 
what can their energy, how can it affect other people? How can it bring other people in to collaborate? And then how can that ripple throughout a community, throughout an industry? Right. right. And I, I really do think that you can, you can be tough, you can be strong, you could be whoever you are, but there's nothing wrong with being a little kind. I know the world really sucks. I mean, it's an awful place. Maybe like a uh, one-star review if I had to give it a Yelp review. Um, I do not recommend for any outside travelers, intergalactic travelers, please do not come. Um, choose another planet. But um, we're here. We, this is our planet. And we get to kind of like decide whether or not we make it nice to live in. You know, it, the world is always filled with bad news. But... If we are able to, let's make a little bit more good news. Well, your optimism is incredible. Well, and yeah. contagious. Yes. Well, I don't know. Maybe I, I, I think my optimism is rooted in a little bit of pessimism, you know? It seems like it, but it's incredible the energy you're able to, like you said, it's like in these moments of frustration, you're almost finding so much strength there. Yeah. You know, and looking at the world and seeing what a negative place is, somehow you're emitting all this positive energy from that place. It's, yeah. It is incredible. And, I mean, if you guys, uh, after this interview, uh, check me out online, you will see that I am not always positive. Uh, I just sound really, like, cute because my voice is very high-pitched. But, you know, the world is a dump sapphire, but there's always cake. What is next for Bakers Against Racism? How do you see it continuing in the long term? We're still activating, we're still fundraising, we're still making sure that we are keeping our ears to the ground, listening to the people that um, make this organization great, the bakers themselves, right? Um, now what I'm trying to do is navigate how to gain funding without losing my soul, you know? So that's going to take a long process because uh, I could cheat and say, sure, I'll take this and I'll grab this, but I want to make sure that I'm doing the best thing for the Baker's community, and I want to make sure that I'm 1,000% giving back to those who gave everything during a global pandemic to make this organization what it is. Thank you so much for joining us. Anything else to add before we close out today? Yeah, if you want to join the Bake for Ukraine bake sale, please visit bakersagainstracism.com or visit us at Instagram and on uh, at Bakers Against Racism. Um, and then I'll teach you how to make your own micro bake sale in your own communities to bake for Ukraine. Absolutely. I can't wait. Thank you for listening to HRN's live coverage of Charleston Wine and Food Festival. I'm Dylan Hoyer. And I'm Sarah Strong. Special thanks to Ben's Friends, an addiction and substance abuse support group for members of the food and beverage industry and Indigo Road Restaurant Group for making our coverage possible. You can listen to all our coverage on our podcast, Heritage Radio Network on Tour. Find it on heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much, Paula. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? 
rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.